Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Sea of Galilee, one of my favorite places. Spent a lot of my life there. Learned a lot of things there. I grew up north of there several miles in a little community called Bethsaida. My brother Andrew and I grew up there, and but we spent a lot of time on the Sea of Galilee in Capernaum. In fact, we made our living doing that. I was a fisherman. By the way, my name's Simon. My brother Andrew and I were fishermen. We had a very successful business. We owned a boat. We had our own house. And so I guess by your terms, we would be considered very successful. And we would fish out on the Sea of Galilee. Capernaum, we spent a lot of time there. Went to the synagogue there. We actually were God-fearing people. We expected uh, God to affect our lives. And we even looked for the Messiah. We heard all of the prophecies about the coming Messiah and Man, were we ready for him to come because we were pretty sick of the Roman domination. We knew one day the Messiah would come and set us free. And so we looked forward to that day. I remember one day that Andrew came running up to me almost out of breath and he said, Simon, you're not going to believe this. I found him. You've got to come meet him. And I said, who are we talking about? He said, Jesus, he's the Messiah. I said, how do you know that? He said, I'm telling you, Peter, uh, Simon, you need to come, you need to come see him. And, and so I went with him and, and so I met this Jesus. And, and what was interesting is when I met him, I'd never met anybody like him before. In fact, when he looked into my eyes, I felt like he could see all the way through me. And he said the strangest thing when he met me. He said, you're Simon, but you're going to be called Petros. I thought, what in the world does that mean? But you know, one of the best things Andrew ever did for me was to introduce me to Jesus. I'm going to tell you the best thing you can ever do for anybody that you love is to introduce them to Jesus. Well, it was several days later and and a big crowd showed up right outside Capernaum there on the Sea of Galilee and there was a, a large hillside. It looked like an amphitheater and, and people were gathered there. In fact, there were so many people that we were over washing our nets and Jesus actually got in my boat. Pushed out on the shore where he could speak to more people. And afterward, after he had spoken and the people had gone, he he said, hey, Simon, why don't you push out in the water a little bit further and drop your nets and try fishing there? Now, we've been fishing all night. In fact, in our business, you fished at night. 
And you didn't push out in the deep. You fished up close to the shore because that's where the fish were. And here's this guy I just met two or three days ago. And he says, now you go out in the deep in the middle of the day, the worst time there is. And he said, drop your nets in the water. But because I'd met Jesus just a couple of days before, I decided I would just humor him a little bit. So we went out there. We dropped our nets in the water. And wouldn't you know, the very first thing that did was got hung on a rock. Well, that's at least what I thought. Because we began to pull, and we began to pull, and the nets began to stretch and crack. We thought they were going to break. And then we realized this net's full of fish. So we hollered at someone on the shore, come out here and help us. And they brought another boat and, and they began to help. And, and because of the weight of the fish, the boats were tipping and water was coming in. And we were, had to be careful we didn't sink the boats. But we caught more fish than we'd ever caught in our life at one time. And when we got to the shore, Jesus looked at me and he said, Simon, he talked to Andrew and James and John. We were all fishermen. He said, I want you to do something. I, I want you to stop fishing for fish. And I want you to fish for men. Well, a lot of people thought we were absolutely crazy to live, to leave a, a business, a successful business, and to follow a man we'd only met several days before, and they thought we'd lost our minds. But I want to tell you, there was something unique about Jesus. There was something different about him. He began to teach us things we'd never heard before. He he, he began to, to upset all of the customs and all of the religious laws that we had been taught all of our lives, even in the synagogue. And, and when he taught in the synagogue, you'd never heard anything like him. He, he spoke with such authority and, and such wisdom. And, and so we couldn't help but follow this man. And the more we followed him, I, I've got to confess, I just didn't understand a lot of the things he was talking about. You can't imagine the things we got to see him do. I remember we were walking through the city and we came across a man who had been blind from birth. He'd never had his eyesight. One of the guys with us said, hey, Jesus, why is this man blind? Is it because of his sin or is it because of his parents' sin? And Jesus turned and said, and he kind of gave us that look like that's a ridiculous question anyway, but he said, neither. But he is going to glorify God. And I want you to know that he, he bent down and he, he spit in his hand a little bit and he got some of that dirt and he rubbed it together. And then he, he rubbed it on this man's eyes. And then he, he told this man, he said, now you go wash in the pool of Siloam. So this man didn't question. He just made his way to the pool of Siloam. And a lot of people were watching. And when he walked down in the water, he, he began to wash his face. And you know, his eyes became clear. And for the first time, he was able to see. We saw Jesus heal people. He, he 
He came to a lame man by the, a pool and, and he said, would, he asked this lame man, would you like to be made whole? Now, personally, I thought, well, what a dumb question, but he asked it anyway. And the man said, I have no one to help me into the pool. And Jesus took him by the hand and he said, arise. And the man stood up and walked off. Immediately, some of the religious leaders began to say, he'd been healed on the Sabbath or he was working because he was carrying his clothes on the Sabbath. And we just saw Jesus do so many miraculous things. He healed people and he touched their lives. They were never the same again. And not only that, he not only had the power to heal, but he could also had the power over nature. I remember one time on the Sea of Galilee. You know, Sea of Galilee was such a great place. It, it, it's about 12 miles long, 7 miles wide, and just rich with fish. And beautiful mountains around it. Most of the time it was calm, and you would think, and, and you folks at Lubbock would really like seeing the Sea of Galilee. But I'm going to tell you, there was not uncommon for the wind to come down between the hills. And it didn't take long for the waves to get up. And so one day out on the Sea of Galilee, I remember us all being in a boat. And you, you got to understand, we're, we're experienced guys with boats. We've made our living catching fish. We know how to handle a boat. And we know about the storms that come up on the Sea of Galilee. But this particular day, the winds got up and we were all in there. And you know what Jesus was doing? He was asleep. He was sleeping through that storm. Well, the winds got bad and the storm got worse. And we began to be afraid. And we actually woke Jesus up and said, Jesus, get up. If you don't help us, we're going to perish out here. And so Jesus got up and he just simply looked toward the water and said, peace, be still. And immediately the wind began to stop. Skies began to clear. The water got smooth. I'm thinking, if he can control a storm, he'll have no problem with the Romans. <laughs> I'd never seen the power like this. We'd never seen anything like this in our life. I want you to know we learned so many lessons out on the Sea of Galilee. You might have well called it the school of Galilee for us. Jesus had the power to calm the storm. Well, it didn't take long for the word to get out about him. And, and people began to follow him and, and people began to gather wherever he was. And I remember one particular day that again on that hillside by the Sea of Galilee, thousands of people came. There were at least 5,000 men and their families and Jesus began to, to preach and he began to teach. And he told us things we'd never heard before that, that the kingdom of God is not about what looks like on the outside. But that particular day, he'd been there a while. And you know what? 
people began to get hungry. And we came to Jesus and said, Jesus, we need to feed these people. What are they going to do? They're hungry. And, and Jesus said, well, feed them. Feed them with what? Now, you folks wouldn't have any trouble. You got McDonald's. You got Burger King, Chick-fil-A. You got all those places. But there wasn't any place like that. And then Jesus said, well, what do you have? Well, you know what? Here's Andrew again. He's the one introducing people to Jesus. He brings this little boy up and he says, he's got fish, a couple of fish and five pieces of bread. And Jesus said, that'll work. He took that bread. He began to pray. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking this whole time, there's no way you can feed these people with that. Even if you make tuna fish. When he got through praying, he handed a basket to Andrew, who's full of bread. He handed a basket to John. It was full of bread and fish. He handed a basket to me. It had fish and bread in it. He said, now go feed these people. Well, I walked up to the first group and I'm thinking, you really don't need to take very much. We got a lot of people to feed. But you know what? He got everything he wanted. And he passed the basket and they got everything they wanted. They passed the basket and they got everything they wanted. And I kept looking in that basket and the next one got everything they wanted. And when I got it back, it was still full. Everybody was fed that day. Here's the lesson I learned. That whatever you have, plus Jesus is enough. He can take what you have and use it in miraculous ways. Well, it wasn't uncommon for Jesus to get away from us every now and then. Now he was praying. He would say he was going to pray, but I got to tell you, I think sometimes he just needed a break from us every now and then because he got off by himself a lot. And it was not uncommon for him to send us on across the Sea of Galilee in this particular day. He said, you guys get in the boat. You're going to go on across the Sea of Galilee. I'll meet, you on the front. I'll meet you on the other side later. I'm going to spend some time with God. I'm going to spend some time praying. And so we got in the boat and we started. It was getting dark, but we weren't afraid. We'd gone across it many times. In fact, we fished in the dark most of the time. But one of those Galilean storms blew up. And the wind got high and the waves got high and we're fighting the water and we're thinking, are we going to perish out here? Where's Jesus going to be? And then all of a sudden we looked out and, and somebody in the darkness said, I see somebody out on the water. And somebody said, it's a ghost. It's a ghost. And we got afraid. And all of a sudden we heard his voice and he said, don't, don't be afraid. It's me. And we looked out and Jesus was walking on the water. And I said, Jesus, if that's you, can I come out there? And Jesus said, you just come right ahead. I remember stepping out of that boat and sticking my feet in the water. And I didn't sink. And I got my other foot out there and I'm standing on the water. And I take a couple of steps and I'm walking on the water. And you know what? I'm the only other person besides Jesus ever walked on the water. 
However, I didn't go very far. I got out there and got to thinking, you can't walk on the water. And I noticed the wind and the waves, and, and I became afraid, and I began to sink. And I said, Jesus, you got to save me. And he walked right over and pulled me right out of the water. And he walked me right back to the boat. He said, he said Simon, you were doing so well. Why did you doubt? I learned a lesson on faith that day. I'm going to tell you, I also learned that whatever distresses you and whatever causes you to sink, it's already under the feet of Jesus. You just got to trust him. North of the Sea of Galilee, quite a few miles, is a place called Caesarea Philippi, and we went there. Big pagan worship area, big pagan temples. There were even times when human sacrifices were made. And, and it was a, time, a place, of a very religious place, but full of pagan worship. And we went there, and Jesus, while we were there, asked us, Who do men say that I am? Some say you're, the, you're Elijah. Some say you're Moses has come back from the dead. And... Some say this and that. And, and then Jesus looked at us and he said, Who do you say that I am? And folks, I guess that's a really under the underlying question is, Who do you say that Jesus is? And I said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, God has revealed this to you. He said on that statement... The statement that you just made, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And, and that's when he changed my name. He said, I'm going to call you Petrus. It stands for little stone or little rock. So I guess I've got an earthly name, Simon. I guess I've got a spiritual name, Peter. That's how you know me mostly. Jesus kept talking about dying. He kept talking about how he was going to die. And then he would be in the earth three days. And then like Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days, he would come out after three days. And, and he, he, I, I, I'm just telling you, it irritated me when he talked about that. In fact, one day he, he was talking about that. And I said, you know what? That's never going to happen while I'm here. And all of a sudden, he rebuked me, and he said, you get thee behind me, Satan. Well, I'm not sure what I should have said, but I obviously didn't say the right thing. <laughs> but I learned that you cannot stop or get in the way of the will of God. Amen. You know, we followed him for three years of our life. I can't begin to tell you everything I saw. I can't begin to tell you everything I heard and the lives that we saw touched and healed and made whole and, and the, the miracles that he performed. He kept talking about needing to go to Jerusalem and we were dreading that because we knew, we'd heard rumors that things were going to be bad in Jerusalem. And like I told you, he's already turned over all of our Jewish customs and our laws. In fact, he kept saying, 
God is not concerned about all the outward things you do as much as the inward part of you. And he called us, we're worried about the dish being cleaned on the outside and we're dirty on the inside. And you know, that, that hadn't really changed because I noticed a lot of you are more worried about what it looks like on the outside than in the inside. Well, we went to Jerusalem and the day that we entered Jerusalem, we were afraid because we'd heard rumors that they might want to kill Jesus because the religious people, he did not coincide with him. He, in fact, I didn't see him get angry very often, but he got angry at people that were placed heavy burdens on people and were, were totally missing what God intended with the law. And we're entering Jerusalem on the 10th of Nisan, it was lamb selection day in Jerusalem because the feast of the Passover was about to be observed. And it was one of the times that all the Jewish males had to come to Jerusalem. And so we're entering Jerusalem on that day. And he had us get a donkey and a colt and he got on the colt and we're riding into the city and we didn't know what to expect when all of a sudden people from everywhere came and were putting down palm branches and laying down their garments and, and saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna, it's the king of Israel. And I'm beginning to think, you know what? This just may happen today. This may be the day he rides into Rome and rides into Jerusalem like he owns the place and overthrows Rome. And they began to sing and to praise, and we walked in and went straight to the temple. Now, he didn't make any friends there. In fact, if one thing, Jesus hated hypocrisy. He hated hypocrisy. He, he would talk to these religious leaders and say, you act like you're so holy and righteous and clean and you do everything, but on the inside you're like, he even said you're like a tomb decayed on the inside. Well, for four days, the religious leaders tried their best to trick Jesus, to trap him and to throw him off, but they decided they were going to kill him. And so they began to plot how to kill Jesus. Now Jesus on the mean, in the meantime said, I want to observe the Passover with you. So he sent us ahead and told us about the room that would be there for us. And we made preparation for the Passover meal and we celebrated the Passover meal. And during that time, Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me. We began to, who is it, Lord? Is it us? Who, who is it, Lord? Who is it? And I said, you know what? I'll never betray you. I'll never deny you. Well, he took a piece of bread and he dipped it and he gave it to Judas. And Judas looked a little embarrassed and, and got up and he left. And I said, Lord, tell me, who's going to betray you? And he said, Peter, I've prayed for you. Satan is going to sift you like wheat. I said, I don't know what you're talking about, but I'm not going to deny you. And Jesus said, oh yeah, you are. Three times before the morning. I said, Lord, with all due respect, you've never been wrong until now. Because I'm never going to deny you.
Then he took some bread and he broke it and he gave to each one of us. And he said, I want you to eat this. This represents my body, which is broken for you. And I'm thinking, what does this mean? Are you talking about dying again? And then he took the cup and he gave it to us. And he said, you drink this. It, it represents my blood that's going to be shed for you. The new covenant that will be there. I still didn't have a clue what he's talking about. We sang a hymn. And then we wanted to, he wanted to go to Gethsemane, which is on the Mount of Olives. It's a beautiful place. Olive trees, a lot of tranquility. It's a quiet place. So we walked outside the walls, went right up the Mount of Olives to Gethsemane. And he asked Peter, he asked James and John and myself to go in with him a little deeper. And we went in and he said, now I want you to pray with me. He looked so distressed. I, I'd never seen him this upset. And he looked distressed. He said, I want you to pray with me. And so we sat down to pray. And Jesus went a little bit further into the garden. And when Jesus prayed, he prayed a long time. A real long time. Real long time. Next thing I know, he's waking me up. Lord, Lord, I, my eyes were closed, but I was praying. I was praying. <laughs> yeah, he knew better. He said, I need you to pray with me. And again, I saw him with such a distressed look on his face. And he went back in the garden a little further and we tried to pray and we went to sleep again, but this time when we woke up, it wasn't because Jesus woke us up. We heard the noise of someone coming through the garden. And we looked and we could see the torches lit. We could see a mob of people coming in there. And you know who was leading the pack? Judas. Judas. He walked up to Jesus and he kissed Jesus and Jesus called him friend. He was the betrayer. A couple of the high priest guards stepped up to take Jesus. And when he did, I pulled my sword and my dagger and I tried to cut his head off. But he moved and I sliced his ear right off. And I was starting after another and Jesus grabbed hold of me and said, Peter, no, put your sword away. You cannot interfere with the will of God. And he reached down and he picked up that ear and he touched that guard on the side of the head and put that ear back on and healed him right there. And then he said, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I'm the one. You let the rest of these go. And the rest of us took off. And they arrested Jesus. And they took him to the Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin was like the Supreme Court in the Jewish world. And yet, it was illegal for the Sanhedrin to meet in the middle of the night. 
So immediately they're breaking the law by bringing Jesus to the Sanhedrin in the middle of the night. And there is Annas, who was the high priest, who was the high priest when John the Baptist was still alive. And then his son-in-law Caiaphas was the current high priest. And both of them were there. John and myself followed from a distance. John got up there, knew some of the people, and was able to get us in where we could see. And, and there they began to condemn Jesus, and they began to convict him of crimes he'd never committed. They trumped up charges. People got up and lied about him. And then they say, and he claims to be the Son of God. And Caiaphas said, do you claim to be the Son of God? And Jesus said, I am the Son of God. Caiaphas got so angry, he slapped him right in the face, ripped his clothes, and he said, this man is guilty of blasphemy. He needs to be killed. And they beat on him a little bit there. He deserves death. The only problem was Sanhedrin had no power to administer the death penalty. So they took him to Pilate. Now, before they did, I know what you're thinking. While I was standing there watching them try Jesus, somebody said, hey, you're, you're one of those guys been with him. You, you, you're one of those guys have been with him. I said, no, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're, I don't know. You got me mistaken, and I moved over closer to the door. few minutes later, a little girl said, hey, I've seen you with him. You're one of those followers of Jesus. You, I've seen you with him. And I said, no, I don't know what you're talking about. So I went outside where the fire was and people were warming themselves around the fire. I could still see inside and I began to try to blend in. I began to talk with these people when all of a sudden one of them said, you know what? We can tell by your accent. You're not from around here. You're from Galilee. You're one of those followers of Jesus. I said, I don't know what you're talking about. And I began to curse and swear. I said, I don't know. I don't know him. And I would no more said that than the rooster crowed. And I looked in and I could see Jesus. And he looked at me with such sad look, looking eyes. All I could do was just weep. I know. I'm pretty famous for that. And it's real easy for you to talk about how Peter denied Jesus three times. But I want to tell you something. Before you point your finger at me, I see you doing the same thing. You deny Jesus at work. You don't want anybody to know you're a Christian. You deny Jesus in your neighborhood. You deny Jesus at school, wherever it might be. Don't be pointing your finger at me when you're doing the same thing. Wee hours of the morning at daylight, they took Jesus to Pilate. Pilate, Pilate was the Roman governor, and, and Pilate, he was over all the, the guard and all of that, but the thing about Pilate, he could be manipulated, and the religious leaders knew how to manipulate him, and they did. And so they brought Jesus to Pilate. They said, this man deserves to, be, to, be, to die. He deserves the death penalty. <laughs> well, Pilate said, let me talk to him. And Pilate began to ask him, are you a king? 
He said, my kingdom's not of this world. He said, so you are a king. In a minute, he came back out to the, the, to the um, Sanhedrin, and he said, I, I can't find anything wrong with this guy. He is innocent. And then he found out that Jesus was from Nazareth, or the province of Galilee and Herod happened to be in town and just coincidence or just so happened for Pilate. It wasn't a coincidence, but he said, send him to Herod. He's the one in jurisdiction over this Jesus. And so they sent him to Herod. Herod was glad to see him because Herod had heard so much about him and Herod began to question him and Jesus never spoke. And Herod took a robe off of him, off of himself and put it on Jesus and said, you're a king. And they began to hit him and, and to, to mock him and all and, and gave him such a difficult time. And then Herod said, I can't rule on this. I'm not in my jurisdiction. So he sent him back to Pilate. Pilate was not glad to see him. His wife had told him, you need to stay away from Jesus. I'm telling you in a dream, you need to stay away from him. He's innocent and so forth. And Pilate said, this man is innocent. And the religious leaders began to incite the crowd. He needs to be put to death. He needs to be dead. He needs to be crucified. And Pilate thought, if I just have him scourged, that'll satisfy them. So he had him scourged. And some of you think it was just some little whip that they put across Jesus' back, but it was a cat of nine tails, which had pieces of bone and glass and rock in the end of it. And when they laid across his back with that cat of nine tails, it literally ripped the flesh. And they beat him to the point that he didn't look human. He should have died from that because of all the loss of blood. They took that robe and put it on him and it just stuck to him. They put a crown of thorns on his head. and Pilate said, I'm going to release him to you. It's been my custom at this time to release a prisoner to you. I'm going to release Jesus. The crowd began to say, no, 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 give us Barabbas. Well, what do I do with Jesus, Pilate asked. Crucify him, crucify him. They began to chant, crucify him. Pilate, afraid that there was going to be a riot, took a basin of water and he put his hands in the water and he began to wash his hands and he said, I want you to know that this man is innocent and I am innocent of this man's blood. You are the ones who will have it on your head. And Jesus was then released to the, the, the crowd and they marched him through the street. And they began to spit on him and they cursed him and they hit him and they pushed him. And because of the, the, the severe wounds, he fell. And they grabbed a man and put the cross on him. And they marched him through the streets all the way to the place of the skull, Golgotha. When they got there, they laid him down on a cross, an old wooden cross. And then they nailed him to it.
He never said a word. He didn't cry out. He didn't curse them. They lifted Jesus up on that cross and they literally dropped it in the hole. He'd be hanging between two common thieves. The Son of God, the Messiah. What had he done? Nothing. I heard him say, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. I heard him cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? I heard him cry out, it is finished. They took him off that cross and laid him in a tomb. We couldn't believe it. We'd given our lives to follow him. He was supposed to set up his kingdom. He was the Messiah. He was, he was going to deliver us. How could he die? We were afraid. In fact, I can remember hiding with the other disciples. We thought we would be next. After all, when you follow Jesus, this renegade that they thought he was, your lives were in danger. So we hid ourselves. But I want you to know, I'll never forget that Sunday morning after the crucifixion. Gates and doors were barred and all the windows fastened down. I spent the night in sleeplessness, rose at every sound. Half in hopeless sorrow, half in fear the day would find the soldiers breaking through to drag us all away. Just before the sunrise, I heard something at the wall. The gate began to rattle, a voice began to call. I hurried to the window, looked down into the street, expecting swords and torches and the sounds of soldiers' feet. There was no one there but Mary, so I went down and let her in. John stood there beside me as she told us where she'd been. She said they moved him in the night and none of us knows where. That stone's been rolled away and now his body isn't there. We both ran toward the garden and then John ran on ahead. We found the stone and the empty tomb just the way that Mary said. But the winding sheet they wrapped him in was just an empty shell. How or why they'd taken him was more than I could tell. 
was something strange had happened there, but just what I didn't know. John believed a miracle, I just turned to go. Circumstance and speculation couldn't lift me very high, cause I'd seen them crucify him, and I watched him die. Inside the house again, the guilt and anguish came. Everything I promised him just added to my shame. When at last it came to choices, I denied I knew his name. Even if he was alive, it wouldn't be the same. strange and sweet perfume a light that came from everywhere drove shadows from the room jesus stood before me with his arms held open wide and i fell down on my knees and just clung to him and cried he raised me to my feet and as i looked into his eyes was shining out from them like sunlight from the skies. Guilt and my confusion disappeared in sweet release. And every fear I'd ever had, it melted into peace. The disciples were never the same. In fact, Peter never denied Jesus again. In fact, he was as bold as a lion because he'd seen the resurrected Jesus. Now, I want to tell you, the only way that Jesus can affect your life is for you to receive him. John 1.12 says, as many as received him... God gave the right to be called the children of God, even those that believe on his name. And folks, it's not enough just to believe. I believe there's a Congress. I believe there's a president, but I don't know them. But when you receive Christ as your savior, that's what makes the difference. He didn't come to give us religion. He came to give us a relationship to God. And if you've never received Jesus as your savior, it's the most important decision you'll ever make. When you meet Jesus, you never stay the same. 
We're not trying to make you religious. We're not even trying to make a Baptist out of you. We're trying to let you know Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment? Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.